You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God, we ask that you would forgive the sins of the preacher, for they are many, and that you would make much of who Jesus is and what he's done today, and fill us with your Holy Spirit to hear and receive your word afresh. Amen. So we're looking and we're working our way through 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 3 today. So open your texts with me, open your leaflets or your Bibles. And it's probably good, especially with a passage like this one from 1 Corinthians, to start, and for me, to start with a confession. If you're a parent, perhaps you've enjoyed the same painfully hypocritical moment that I have. And if you're a kid, you've probably witnessed this firsthand. It usually goes something like this. Everybody, stop! yelling. Your voices are too loud. You need to use your inside voices. Everybody just needs to chill out. We are not a family that solves its problems by yelling. But daddy, you're yelling. Stop it. You know, that's normally the way things go in the Hicks household. And I often say that uh, having four kids, uh, not including the parents, is like four competing wills in the home. Each will has its own idea of whatever they'd like to do, and wouldn't you know it, they never agree, ever. Abby and I, whenever we're deciding where to go out to eat with the whole family, we have to resort to whispers and code and secret hand signals and other such CIA-style tactics, because God only knows that if one kid hears what we're saying, it's immediately, I hate that, I don't want to go there. To which my usual reply is, the USA might be a democracy, but the Hicks home is a dictatorship run by Queen Mom and King Dad. You don't get a vote. And by the way, stop yelling. You know, it's always like that, losing my temper all the time. And in moments of my exasperated and no good parenting, which happens to be like every day, I fail to keep perspective on the fact that kids are kids, and because they're kids... They're kind of bound to do what kids are bound to do, fight. And part of what it means to mature into adulthood is to adopt the art of compromise, to yield your will to others, and to see things from others' perspectives. But when you're a kid, surrounded by other kids, it's just kind of developmentally normal, universally so, that you bicker. And Paul is actually pulling out this card of universal knowledge, and he's waving it in front of the Corinthians, and he's saying, all children fight, argue, and bicker. And as he puts that in the face of the Corinthians, he says, I wish, I wish I could treat you like adults, like those mature in the faith, but I can't, because you're acting like children. You see, Paul presents the Corinthians and us with a paradigm, a duality, Two things that we'll see again and again in the scriptures which describe the tension of the Christian life. He's talking about the spirit versus the flesh. And he says, but I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as fleshly people. The spirit and flesh dynamic is really important for Christians to understand In fact, it's one of the most practical bits of theological understanding that you and I can get into our heads. It's all over the scriptures. You see, God tells us in his word that when we believe on Jesus Christ in that saving faith kind of way, that God sends his Holy Spirit to inhabit us, to live in us. 
And God says that when that Holy Spirit comes, there's a particular agenda that the Spirit has. And that agenda is to do war with your flesh. And what that flesh is, is even though we're converted, even though we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, yet remaining in our members, in the language of Paul, is this sin, is this stuff that so easily entangles. And when we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit comes in to do war against that. Which is why sometimes we need to realize that this language of people accepting the Lord and all their problems going away isn't necessarily scriptural. Yes, there is. When the Spirit comes into your life, yes, there is a peace. Jesus said, uh, my peace I give to you and my peace I leave you. And then he breathes his Holy Spirit. So there's a link between when the Holy Spirit comes in, there is a kind of peace that's there. But there's equally, in the words of Martin Luther, anfektung or spiritual anxiety and war, because the Spirit comes in and has an agenda to kill and mortify your flesh, which means that the Christian life is incredibly tense. And you see, once we understand this, we have the tools to recognize our daily struggles for what they really are. They're the evidences of the war of the Holy Spirit against the flesh. You know, to struggle is to be a Christian. And make no mistake, it is a struggle. Receiving the work of the Holy Spirit, doing war on our flesh, is like receiving the work of a doctor who has to break our bones in order to set them into healthy alignment. And so now here's what Paul is saying. When we don't allow the doctor to break our bones, when we allow ourselves to remain in our crookedness, we are giving in to the flesh. And giving in to the flesh is the hallmark of immaturity. And here's Paul's very specific diagnosis of the evidences of childish immaturity giving into the flesh at the cathedral church of Corinth. He says, there is jealousy and strife among you. You're bickering, you're fighting, and you're arguing about relatively stupid things. The Corinthian church is found arguing about who's the most spiritually mature, and there's an irony there. You know why I'm a super spiritual Christian, says Corinthian, number, Corinthian A? Because Paul baptized me. And Corinthian B replies, well, that's lame. Anybody can throw water on you. I took Apollos' theology class. And you can have all your silly contemplative and devotional practices and ceremonies like baptism. I'm a seminarian. I know my Bible. That's what God really cares about. And Paul stops and says, whoa, 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 time out. Don't you realize that in all your arguing about who's the most spiritually mature, that it's actually the fact that you're arguing that shows that you're immature. It's your fighting that shows that you're giving in to the flesh. And brothers and sisters, it's really important for you and I to feel the finger of what Paul is saying here. And so I ask the uncomfortable question, do you grumble and complain about your church? Are you dissatisfied with something about the Advent and it has you itching and maybe talking and bickering and rubbing up against people? Now, as an aside, there might honestly be some that say, well, that's not really a problem for me. I like the Advent just fine. And Paul might reply to some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you, 
Are you actually close enough in relationship to your brothers and sisters to actually feel some of this friction? Are you entering in a concerted way into the relational life of the church? Or are you floating on the surface where you can actually stay a little distanced from all those relational sparks? And yeah, I know it's uncomfortable. So let me slide alongside you in this uncomfortable booth that we're now in by telling you how this passage hit me between the eyes a few weeks ago. Confession time. I caught myself grumbling at some of the things that I thought were really immature about our church. And I was having a nice little self-righteous pastoral pity party, pointing the finger out there. And I was studying this passage, preparing for this message. And Paul's words to the Corinthians leapt out at me, hit me right between the eyes. It's actually that very grumbling, Zach, that's the mark of immaturity. You've given in yet again to the flesh. You know, in every church that I've been a part of, I found this to be true in my own heart. There were always things to resent and be bitter about. In fact, in my flesh, I'm kind of a connoisseur of bitterness. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I feed off of it like when I was nine downing packs of Sour Patch Kids. You see, the flesh loves bitter flavors. And two of the bitterest dishes on the menu are spiced arguing and pickled quarreling. Mmm, the flesh says, absolutely delicious. I love it. And in a nutshell, Paul says, the fruit of your immaturity, the evidence that you're not mature in Christ, is your disunity. It's your disunity. And you know, there's something else being relevantly addressed by Paul in this passage today. Who knew that the first century Corinthian church would have the same problems with celebrity pastors that the 21st century American church does. The church was dividing itself into factions based on which pastor they most aligned with. And I love how Frank and Paul uh, is in all of this. Paul, Apollos, Peter, it doesn't matter. I mean, back in chapter 1, Paul's totally cracking me up. He's like, I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Um, and I, I baptize the household of Stephanus. And I, beyond that, I don't really remember. And imagine if you're sitting there listening to Paul's letter and you're Bob the Corinthian, whom Paul baptized a year ago, and you heard Paul saying that. You're like, what? You don't remember my baptism? That was the most important day of my life. You were the one that dunked me, Paul. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter. It's all the work of the Lord anyway. It's God's job, not my job. Pay attention to him, not me. And Paul's basically saying, pastoral celebrity culture needs to die. It has no place in Christ's church. Did you know that that's one of the reasons that we try to aim for having a, a rotating pulpit here at the Advent. It's one of the reasons why we switch up who's preaching where at what time during a week because we know that our hearts are going to gravitate towards specific people and rally around personalities and charisma. And one of the ways that we try to combat that is just to say we need to hear from the wisdom of all of us and we know how weak our own flesh is. So Lord, have mercy. And the painful truth we hear from the passage today is that the church, our church, is a broken organization, a dysfunctional organism, an institution, and a struggling community. 
You know, when I was contemplating the pastoral call to come to the Advent almost three years ago, actually, I was on the phone with our wise friend, Gil Cracky. And the situation I was currently in at that time was a really challenging one. And Advent appeared to me to be like a haven, a wonderful church. The grass, are, grass was looking greener on the other side of the fence. And I think Gil could sense my rose-colored outlook on things. And he humbly said to me, Zach, the grass is brown everywhere. <laughs> but the amazing thing that we learn is that God is in the business of taking argumentative, self-centered, broken tools like you and me to sow, plant, and water the green buds of faith right in the middle of the brown fields. Verses 7 through 9 say, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And, and this is good news, you are God's field. Thank God. That's a hopeful word that you, you are hearing this word from the Lord today. Not my words, but God's word. You are God's field. And God, by his spirit, is growing you up and will complete what he started. He's faithful to do it. And so I want to conclude where Paul concludes in this section of the passage as he shifts the metaphor from botanical about plants to architectural about buildings by reminding us uh, all of another thing that our church is deeply committed to. Verse 12 says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Advent, our mission tells us and reminds us that we have a daring confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? It means that we're stubbornly committed to staying on that foundation. But it's so hard, which is why we use the word daring, because staying on that foundation takes guts. We don't want our pulpit and our message to be commandeered by politics or browbeating you into moral conformity, as important as politics and ethics are, because that's moving away from the foundation. We don't want our messaging to be primarily about social activism or community betterments. Not because those things are bad things and not even because the church shouldn't be about those things because we should. But to give any of those things center stage would be to move off the foundation. We, the Cathedral Church of the Advent, have decided to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And so how do we in this moment... And in every subsequent moment until we die or until Christ returns, how do we in this moment where the word of God is lovingly calling out our need for greater unity, how do we know nothing but Christ and him crucified? Well, it's pretty simple. Repent. And what is repentance? I'll use the explanation in this way this time. It's two C's. It's confession and it's clinging. We confess, and we cling. And it's actually something that, by God's grace, is built into the liturgy that we're about to go through as we head to the table. This opportunity to tell God, God, I need you. I don't have what it takes to do this thing, to be a part of this community, to do what you call me to do, to be a, a godly mom, a godly dad, a godly grandparent, a godly single person. You know, I don't have what it takes to do all this. 
And it's laying that before the Lord and then clinging to the word that he sends us, telling us that it has all been done for us and all the riches in Christ are now given to you by virtue of his life and his death. And so we repent. And so today, let us renew our commitment to all of this by remembering God's commitment to us. So repent and believe the gospel. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.